Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing things that we got to experience last year. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your fellowship. Lord, even the trials that we went through, your word says we can consider those joy because of the result as we follow you. But Lord, we're also very excited about what lies ahead. We're excited about the fact that you are inviting us to partner with you, to run with you, to fellowship with you, to walk with you intimately, and to experience your kingdom being manifest here on earth. I thank you for the grace that you're making available right now. As Holy Spirit, you speak to us, you challenge, you convict us. And that grace is available for us to embrace your word and to put it into practice. So we open our our, our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say. And we position ourselves to walk in obedience to you. Because we truly are following you, Jesus. And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys realize that we are in the last days? Would anybody disagree with that? You know, 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. And that was said about 2,000 years ago. So do you think we're a little bit closer? Just a tad bit. Peter said back then, the end of the world is coming soon. You know, there's all kinds of books out available you can buy. Talking about the blood moons, talking about how everything is lining up, talking about how all these prophecies have been fulfilled and, and Jesus can come any moment and all these, these things. And, and a lot of Christians get a hold of those things. You'll see crazy stuff on YouTube about how Jesus come back tomorrow. So give me all your stuff. You know, there's all kinds of predictions about Jesus coming in November or Jesus coming in May or Jesus coming. And they'll even say specific dates. How many of you guys have seen and heard that? I remember back in 1988, some of you weren't even, you guys were still in heaven. But back in 1988, there was a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And there was a specific date, I believe, if I remember right. I can't remember the date. Did he come back then? I can't remember. Did Jesus? But there was, you know, a book, and, and there's been books like that. There's been declarations that Jesus come back on this particular day. And as soon as somebody gives a specific day, you can scratch that one off your calendar. Well, I guess he's not coming back that day, because the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. Now, we can recognize the seasons, and the seasons definitely point to the fact that he's coming back soon. And so the challenge is, is what do you do? What do you do knowing that Jesus can come back any minute or any moment, any day, soon? He's coming back soon. What do we do? Do we we stock up a bunch of food and store it in places so that we're taken care of when everything goes crazy? If you feel like the Lord's telling you to do that, that's between you and him. Do you, there's all kinds of crazy things that people are challenging us to do. But I believe the Lord has made it clear what we're supposed to do in these end times. And it's right here in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 7. It says, the end of the world is coming soon, therefore. That means 
Since the end of the world is coming soon, therefore, here's what you're supposed to be doing. First, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And then it says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And there's some other things in verses 9 and 10. There's actually four things total, but we're going to talk about two today. So in the last days and in these end times, what are we commissioned and commanded by the Lord to do? To earnestly pray and to show deep, fervent love. So if you're wondering, okay, the blood moons have all lined up, everything's happening, everything, so what am I supposed to do? Okay, besides stocking up your food, you're supposed to be fervent in prayer and walk in deep love towards one another. Be fervent in prayer and walk in deep, fervent love towards one another. In Matthew 24, 10 through 12, it says, and many will turn away from me. Now, this is Jesus talking, and he's describing the end time climate. In other words, he's saying at the end, at the very end, here's what it's going to be like. He says, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. And the interesting thing is that word love right there, I believe, I looked it up a long time ago, so I'm going by what I remember that happened a long time ago. I believe that word is agape. And if that's the case, then we know that agape is God's kind of love, right? That's the unconditional love. So what it's saying is sin will be rampant everywhere, and the agape of many will grow cold. So in these days, would you, would you say that sin is running rampant? Would you agree with that? That people are just going crazy and, and it's, just, it's just craziness. Sin is running rampant, it says, and then people's love is going to grow cold. And so if, if that word truly is agape, then, that, then you can say that that's talking about Christians. Their love, their choosing to walk in God's love is going to diminish, grow cold. So why is it important for us to walk in fervent love towards one another? Because a lot of people aren't doing it. Matter of fact, it's decreasing, it's diminishing. And so how much more would you shine, would we shine in a dark place if we're the only ones with flashlights? What are the two things he's called us to do? He's called us to be fervent in prayer And most importantly, show deep love, fervent love for one another. I remember the Lord told me back in the summer, I think it was in June. He told me this phrase. He said, he who loves well will have the greatest influence in people's lives. He who loves well will have the greatest influence in people's lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to love people so we can influence them. That's manipulation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about loving people well. And as a result of that, people are going to open their hearts and their lives for you to influence them. Remember that thing about Jesus saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Well, what do fishermen do? If they're professional fish, fish, (laughs) yeah, they're professional fishers, right? They catch fishies. And they know how to do it well. 
They do things to attract the fish. So what Jesus is saying, I will make you fishers of men, then walking with him, being like him, is going to draw people to us so we can influence them for the kingdom. Was Jesus attractive to people or not? When he walked the earth, would you say he was attractive, that people were attracted to him? I mean, people were drawn to him. I mean, even sinners, people who walked in deep, dark sin were attracted to this man who was full of light and life, and they were attracted to him. And he wants that same thing for us. For people to be attracted to you for the same reason they were attracted to Jesus. Because he says, follow me, and I will make you. Basically, he says, follow me, and I will make you just like I am. Would you agree with that so far? He wants us to be like him. He wants people to be attracted. He wants us to be influencers of people for his kingdom. Because we recognize that people are, that many people are hopeless, helpless, destitute, desperate, full of anxiety, full of fear. And are those characteristics and traits that Jesus wants them to remain in? He came to give us life and life abundantly. He wants people to be free and full of hopefulness and courage and be encouraged and built up. And since he's not here walking on this earth, then who does he expect to walk in that way? To be dispensers of hope. His followers. And that would be you and me. Because we are followers of Jesus. Amen? The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sin. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. So the first thing, be diligent in your prayers. What does that mean? Julius, sit down. (laughs) Just kidding. If her mom was here, I'd be dead right now. (laughs) But she ain't here, so. And Christy, you better not tell. Where is she? Oh, good. Christy ain't here either, so. It says, be diligent in prayers. What does that mean? It means spending time with Jesus. It means connecting to the source of our love of God's love, of our hope, our peace, our encouragement. We need to make sure that spending time with Jesus on a regular basis is our habit, is our lifestyle. Now remember, if we're following Jesus, that means we're hanging out with Jesus, right? See, that's the difference between a Christian and a follower. A follower is hanging out with him. And so we need to make sure that's what we're doing, fervent in prayer, hanging out with Jesus, talking to him, communicating with him. Communing with him. And not just, although it includes, not just throwing up our requests, saying, Jesus, I need this, I need this, I need that. Although he invites that. And you don't need to be ashamed of that. Because he says, come, ask me. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But that should be part of your relationship with him, but not your whole relationship. You realize that some people, their whole prayer time is, Lord, give me this, help me this, do this, this. It's all about them. That shouldn't be our whole life, but part of it. So it's spending time with Jesus, staying connected to the source of agape love. 
Also being fervent in prayer is also including declarations. Agreeing with and confessing and, and saying what God has already said. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You know, you know, a couple of months ago, a few months ago, I, you know, many of you accepted the challenge to make, you know, 100 declarations a day for 30 days, which is awesome. But just want to let you know that that, that membership has expired. This is 2017. All memberships in 2016 have expired. Just letting you know that. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Time to renew that subscription. So I would ask and challenge you, let's do another 30. Let's do another 30 days of making at least 100 declarations a day for 30 days in in the month of January. And so if you want to do that, if you want to re-up, recommit, then send me the text so you get back on my brand new 2017 list. And then I can send you uh, text messages, encouragements, and that kind of thing. But I strongly recommend and encourage you to make declarations a part of your daily life. Because it's very important. Yes, thank you very much. And then also, being diligent in your prayers. Prayer declaration meeting that we have on Wednesday morning is an opportunity to partner with our Father to see change in your community. Change in our community. I want to challenge you, those of you who are, who are able. Now, I know some of your schedules do not allow because you have to be at work or you, you're in another part of the state at 7 a.m. But those of you who are able to, and not just out of convenience or, not, or inconvenience, I want to challenge and encourage you to, to join us on Wednesday mornings from 7 to 7.45 for the prayer declaration meeting to be a part of something that's outside of and bigger than you. To be a part of making a change in our community. I firmly believe with all my heart that change has been happening as a result of those who have been making declarations over this community for the last several weeks. I firmly believe that. I'm seeing some of it, and and a lot of it you can just feel. And you can't necessarily see it because, you know, the manifestation hasn't broken out yet. But I know things are changing. Atmospheres are changing. Atmosphere is changing in my life over the declarations that I'm making. Atmospheres are, the atmosphere is changing in this church. I mean, it's, I don't know if you guys noticed, but it's changing in our families, in our community. So I want to invite you. And again, if you were on the list in 2016, that membership has been expired, so it's time for a new one. If you want to re-up for another nine weeks, or another semester, I want to ask you to text me today and say, hey, CJ, I'm in for the declarations, and I'm in for Wednesday morning from 7 to 7.45. Okay? We good? And also, some people who were not physically able to be here on Wednesday morning, they still wanted to be a part of it. So what I would do is they say, I want to be a part of that. So they would pray on their own, or they'd pray with their family, uh, other, than, other than Wednesday mornings, and I would send them kind of highlights. Here's what I feel like we need to we need to focus on today. So if you want to be involved in that way, also send me a text and say, count me in. So it's important to be fervent in our prayers and be diligent and to be intentional. And then the second thing, and we're going to camp on this part a longer time, most important of all, show deep, fervent love for one another. So I believe that the Lord says that his theme for us for 2017 is to love well, to love well. And so my question to you is, how do we do that practically? 
And this is one of those things I was struggling with because this is one of those topics that's so big. I mean, we're talking about loving people, loving God, everything. I mean, you can just go on and on and on and on and on and on. But I just wanted to break a few things down in a bite-sized pieces so we can take something, take a hold of it, and run with it. Number one, so I'm going to share five keys today. Five keys of how we can love well, according to 1 Peter 5, excuse me, 1 Peter 4. First of all, your love has to look like and line up with the biblical definition of love. Your love needs to look like and line up with the biblical definition of love. In other words, we can't love who we want to, but we need to love who he says for us to love. Did you catch that? It's not about just loving who we want to, but it's who he says we're to love. Matthew 4, excuse me, Matthew 5, 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, and this is Jesus talking, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, right here, I want to say something here, when it says, so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. I don't believe that means if you do these, then you will be sons of God in heaven. I believe what it means is this is what a son looks like. This is what a son of God acts like. So if you do this, then you will look like your father. Does that make sense? So it's not we're doing this to earn sonship. This is how a son behaves. So I just want to make that clarification. That you may be sons of your father in heaven because he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now I'm going to add something in here too. For if you love those who love you. Here's my addition. Or only those who agree with you. For if you love those who love you or only those who agree with you. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brother only, or only those who agree with you, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. So Jesus is talking about, we are to love our enemies and those who do not agree with us. Now, many of us are guilty of only loving those that we like and that agree with us. And that is okay to love them. I'm not saying begin to hate them. But we just need to open our boundaries even more. There's some people we need to include in our love, our love fest. We need to love our enemies. And, and that can be literal. I mean, enemies, people who are against you, who hate you, who are out to destroy you. It can mean that. It does mean that. But also, here's why. The people that you disagree with. Because, see, that's where we live mostly. We may not have people trying to kill us, but we have people who disagree with us politically, socially. And Jesus is saying you're to love them with a fervent kind of love. What is it called when 
What is it called when a Walmart checkout lady gives you an attitude? Or a server in a restaurant gives you bad service? What is that called? Thank you. That's exactly what it's called. You know what's funny? Because the other day I was thinking about this, and now I recognize it was the Holy Spirit asking me this question. He was setting me up. He said, what is it called? I thought it was a riddle, you know? Like, what has three legs? Never mind. He said, what is it called when, when someone of service, like a Walmart place or wherever, they have it? You know, you're going through the checkout line, and the man or lady gives you an attitude? It's like, what? Oh, I can show you some attitude. Or your server... You know, you're maybe you're at an expensive restaurant or a restaurant where you're paying, you know, your hard-earned money, and your server kind of blows you off. And the Lord asked me, what is that? And I felt like he told me it's an opportunity. And I'm thinking, is that really scriptural? See, looking for an excuse, a way out, a way of escape. And then I turned to James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and he said, yes, it is, by the way. And out of the NLT, it says... James 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm like, what? Now, let me ask you this. When you encounter various trials, for example, attitude clerks or bad service waiters or waitresses, do you consider that time of great joy? (laughs) Not particularly. You know, many of us can, we can show some really good, bad attitude back, right? And some of us have actually done that. But he says, consider it an opportunity of great, for great joy. For you know that when your, ta- your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. But also, it's an opportunity for great joy, not just for you. But it's an opportunity for you to love that person. Seriously, it's an opportunity. When someone is rude to you, it's an opportunity. Lisa and I, a while ago, I took her to Outback Steakhouse. Anybody like steak? Me too. And we went to Outback and for a date, and we're hanging out, and then we ordered our steaks and everything. And one thing my mom taught me is that when you go to a restaurant, because when we grew up, we weren't, didn't have a lot of money. So when we went to a restaurant, it was a very big treat. And so we'd go to restaurants, and, and sometimes her, she'd order her food a certain way. You know, if it was a steak or whatever, she'd order it this way and want her potatoes this way or whatever. And if the food came and it wasn't the way she asked, she would kindly and without attitude say, excuse me, ma'am or sir, this isn't how I ordered this. And I'm like, oh, come on, mom. Oh, man. You know, the young preteen, full of embarrassment, like, come on, mom, just eat the food. Can't we just all get along? You know, that kind of thing. And then she told me something. She said, son, when we come to restaurants, I pay good money, and I deserve to have the food the way I ask. I believe that. I'm like, still, but it's embarrassing. And so I learned that. When we go to restaurants, now, if you go to somebody's house and they... Pre- pre- <laughs> now, now, stop. Come on now. That's not what I was... That's <laughs> If you go to someone's house and they prepare a meal and it's not necessarily the way you like, that's different. You don't say, hey, woman, what's wrong with it? Come on now. Because you probably won't get asked there again. 
But that's when you just graciously accept the gift and you eat it. But when you're paying for something, I believe it's okay to, without attitude, say, excuse me, ma'am, I asked for medium, and this is still mooing. (laughs) So anyway, Lisa and I went to this restaurant, and we ordered steak, and, and hers came back definitely not cooked right. And she said, excuse me, sir, to our waiter, uh, this isn't how I asked. And he says, you're right, because he recognized it was not the way she asked. So he took it back. He apologized, took it back. A few minutes later, he brought it back again, and it still was, I mean, it wasn't even close. It was like they took it to the wrong, I don't know what happened, but it just came back, and it still wasn't right. And because he said, you know, cut into it, she cut into it, and, and she's like, uh, this isn't right. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. And so he took it back, and then he took care of it, and then eventually it came back right. Well, after that, he was kind of embarrassed or probably thought that we were going to be mad at him. So after that, all of a sudden, he disappeared. Our waiter avoided us. You know, we'd see him. It's like, hey, hey. You, know, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like he was afraid of us and avoided us. And so he would skip us and that kind of thing. And we, we, we recognized what was going on. He was probably afraid of us because like, oh, we're those people. You know, the ones that the customer's hard to please, the ones you're afraid of, you know. And we didn't have any attitude. So anyway, um, he had to come eventually to our table, you know, just to check on us. And um, the Lord showed us some things about him. And we said, I have a question for you. Is this and this, are you this way? Or begin to ask him questions. And he said, well, yeah. I said, okay. So I felt like the Lord showed me that about you. And just began to say things to him and affirm him. And he began began to be encouraged. And then we had this dialogue, you know, this talk and everything, and we're talking, and I'm, sitting, I'm starting to get uncomfortable because I recognize, wait a minute, he's got other customers, and he's not leaving our table. And it's like, dude, you know, that lady over there probably wants a refill, you know? And then so he would, he would leave and go take care of other customers, and then he would come back. He would hang out at our table. And we were talking, having dialogue, talking about different things, movies and this and that, and and I can't remember what book it was, but in all the things we were talking about and the things I learned about him, I, I said, I, have, I highly recommend you read this book. And he said he was a book reader, so he was going to read that book. And so we encouraged him, affirmed him, blessed him. And then when we left, we gave him a sizable tip. Now, see, that had nothing to do with how he treated us. But it was an opportunity to invest in a life. And see, and I think it meant more to him because... He felt like he didn't deserve to be treated right. That's why he was avoiding us and afraid. He didn't think he was going to get a tip, if if any. And so we made it larger to make a point. And then we even wrote a note on his receipt. Has something to do about Jesus. I don't know. You know, something like that. And so I want to encourage you, when you encounter, when you go to a store to to buy something and, and the cashier lady gives you attitude or the man gives you attitude or whatever, See it as an opportunity. Say, Lord, how can I encourage this person? Or, or do you have anything I can say? Or the least thing you could do is as you're walking away, because maybe, maybe the situation doesn't present itself for you to talk to that person for whatever reason. The least you can do as you leave that person, release forgiveness and, say, and bless and say, Father, I just bless that person. I don't know what kind of day he or she's having, but I just pray that you'd bless them and they would experience your love in a wonderful way. Amen? So next time you encounter someone with attitude, 
What is that called? Opportunity. Okay, so number one is our love needs to line up with biblical, with the biblical definition. Number two, we must be living and practicing a lifestyle of forgiveness. For that is the only way you will be able to love people well. Or to love the people, your enemies, or people who don't agree with you. You have to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Because if I'm holding resentment and bitterness in me, then it's going to be easy for people to hook me. You know what I mean? In other words, if I have this unresolved stuff in my soul, then someone can give me attitude, and it causes that thing inside of me to rise up, and then I'm going to react. But if I'm diligent to deal with that stuff going on inside of me, the unforgiveness, the resentment, the, the unforgiveness, all that kind of stuff, I'm diligent to deal with that and let the Lord heal that and get that junk out of me, then there's not gonna, I'm not going to be easily as easily hooked. You guys know what I mean by being hooked? You know, someone can say something or do something, and subconsciously it reminds you of a wound. It reminds you of how, how maybe your dad used to talk to you or how your mom or whatever used to do, and they remind you, and all of a sudden you have this reaction, and you begin to lash out. You have no idea why you're lashing back at them, but you do, and you give them a good dose of attitude. And so as we learn and become skilled at walking in forgiveness, we even have a book out there in the the lobby about forgiveness. I would encourage you to purchase that. But learn, become skilled in the art of forgiveness so you can be free, so that we can walk in freedom, and so that we can take advantage of the opportunities of other people and loving people well. Remember? Because that's what we're talking about, loving well. Number three. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his design, excuse me, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So number three, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. The same attitude that Jesus had, if we're going to love people well. Because we're talking about the king of the universe, the one who put everything together. Everything is held together by Jesus, right? Didn't the Bible teach that? He's the exact representation of God. So if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what God acts like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because, see, God is invisible. Jesus was visible. He's invisible now, but he was visible at one time. And so we get a good, good picture of what Jesus was like because what the Word says, and that gives us a picture of what God's like. And we see the attitude that he had, that even though he was so powerful, he laid it all aside and came to serve. Jesus gave up the right to be treated a certain way. Let me say that again. Jesus gave up the right to be treated a certain way. See, he could have come, says, okay, I've arrived. You know, he didn't have to come as a baby in a manger, in a stinky old. Do you guys know what it smells like around animals? Come out to my house, I'll show you. I mean, we have a horse barn, and there's horse 
droppings. And it doesn't smell that good. Imagine, that's the environment that Jesus was born in. I mean, it wasn't all, you know, when you see these manger, these beautiful mangers, like we had one a couple weeks ago, beautiful manger scene. We forget that it was around smelly animals and, and animal droppings. And it stunk. And that's what Jesus allowed himself to be born into that environment. He could have just come down out of heaven all shiny and beautiful and powerful and said, I've arrived. And all of a sudden, everybody falls on their face, begins to worship him. And he could have snapped his fingers and everybody serves and all that kind of stuff. That is not how he came. And people misunderstood him. People said horrible things about him. And they mistreated him. It says he even took on the form, he even became like a slave to serve God, and even died a criminal's death. And it says that we are to have this attitude. We need to lay down our rights. See, we, we, as Americans, we walk around with all these rights. I have a right to that space on the highway. Anybody cuts in front of me, they violated my rights. I have a right to that place in line. Someone cuts in front of me. Now, I'm not excusing bad, people's bad behavior. I'm not saying it's okay for people to do bad things. But I'm talking about our response and our reaction. That's what I'm talking about. So when we get attitude in Walmart or whatever store, we're like, what? You're going to treat me like that woman? Do you know who I am? No, she doesn't care either. But when we hold on to, I have the right to be treated a certain way, then guess what? Those rights are going to be trampled on. And every time your right is violated, the right that you feel like you have is violated, that's when you get angry. See, anger is a sign that you had a right that you felt you had was violated. And so if you have a bunch of rights, you are setting yourself up for a lot of anger. A lot of anger. So if I'm going to set myself up in a position to be able to love people well, then I have to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Laying down those rights. Number four, this is a big one right here. Not that the others weren't, but here's where I think it all comes together. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness or humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, So right here, it's not saying don't look after your own interest. It says do not only look after your own interest, but also the interest of others. So the fourth key is be intentionally empathetic. Intentionally empathetic. Being concerned for and looking after other people's interests, walking in empathy, seeing things from another person's perspective, and not expecting everyone to only see things from your perspective. Empathy out of the dictionary says it's the psychological identification with the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another person. One more time. Empathy is the psychological identification with the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another person. You've heard the phrase, walking in another man's shoes? Anybody ever heard that before? 
That means trying to see things from their perspective, trying to understand why they feel the way they feel. You know, one time when, when I used to work at, um, on campus when I was in college, as I was, think a sophomore or junior, sophomore, about 10 years ago maybe. I used to work as a desk clerk, and so people would come, and they would get, they'd buy stamps or get change, or they would need to, technology was a lot different back then. So they would, in this particular dorm, actually, I think all the dorms are that way, Someone wanted to see Susie or whoever in room 350, so you would buzz room 350, and then Susie or whoever would come down and that kind of thing. So I was a desk clerk, and I served in that position. And I remember this one, one time, this young lady came to the desk, and she wanted stamps. And she slapped her money on the table and says, give me some stamps. I'm like, Sue, say what? She had attitude. I mean, she had big-time attitude. And I'm nice old me. I didn't do nothing to deserve that attitude. And, and it, it was kind of shocking. It, it caught me off guard because I was sitting there doing homework. And all of a sudden, bam, give me some stamps. I'll give you some stamps, all right. I mean, that's what I wanted to say, but I didn't because I enjoyed my job and the paycheck that came with it. But when, so I was giving her her stamps and everything. And boy, inside I was seething. I wanted to backhand her. Twice. And I remember the Lord, he said, he said this to me. You don't know if her mother just died. And I don't. I didn't and I don't to this day. But it shifted my attitude. In other words, he was saying, you have no idea why she's having this attitude. It could be because her mother just died. And it kind of caught me by surprise. And immediately, my attitude inside changed. Where it was full of anger and wanting to retaliate, all of a sudden, compassion. Now, I don't know. She could have just been having a bad attitude, and I was the brunt of it. But because I thought there might be a reason why she's acting this way, that's a pretty bad reason. And all of a sudden, I was full, filled with compassion, and my whole attitude changed. You know, my uh, youngest son and daughter, Benjamin and Julia, when, when school started last year, first time they went to the school they're going to now, and uh, they would talk about, you know, talk about how school was and the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, and they both had a similar situation where there was someone in their class, some kid, who was pretty bratty. You, you know them? The other kids, you know? That was pretty, you know, the kind of kids that, that no one in, in the class liked, that they got on everybody's nerves, and, and, and they were just frustrated. Man, this kid, uh, he just acts this way, and this, and this, and this, and they were just sharing all that. And I said, well, you know, of course, I didn't know the kids they were talking about. I said, you know, sometimes when people are, I'll say, kids act a certain way, it could be because they have it really rough at home. So you, you don't, we don't know how their dad treats them or their mom or, or their brothers or maybe they don't even have a dad or maybe they don't have a mom or, or whatever. We don't know what's going on. But sometimes people act that way because of the environment they're living in. And then I remember, I remember my daughter telling me uh, a short time later, maybe same, that same week or a short time later, she said, Dad, you were right. 
I said, right about what? I mean, I know I'm right, but what specifically was I right about this time? And she said that kid, talking about his home life, was pretty, pretty sad, pretty messed up. It's like, oh. And, but what it did is it changed the perspective of that person. They weren't so quick to jump on the bandwagon of hating this kid. They had a little more compassion. Maybe you have someone that you work with like that. You know, the, the guy or the girl that gets on everybody's nerves. The one that's like, oh, I've got to work with them today. Are you serious? Come on, Jesus, get me out of this mess. Maybe that's an opportunity for you. you know, not too long ago, I had the, the privilege, and I'm not being sarcastic when I say this, but I had the privilege of uh, I was working on putting together our kids' trampoline that they got for Christmas. And I got a call, Stillwater PD, and they wanted me to assist them to make a death notification. A young man, I say young, he's a little bit younger than me. His life was terminated very tragically. I'll just leave it at that. And so I was, my position is I go with the officers and I inform the mom, the wife, husband, whoever, I informed them, sorry to tell you that your husband is dead. So I had the privilege, I had that privilege this week, last week, recently. And, uh, and I do say that, seriously, privilege. But I was at the time when I got the call from dispatch, and she goes, hey, are you busy right now? And it's like, well, yeah, who's not busy, right? And she goes, no, she goes, what are you doing right now? I said, putting together a trampoline. And she goes, oh, okay. She said, well, and she told me a situation. Would you be available? I was like, hmm. Um, I had company, family coming. And I said, well, and she goes, well, I'll tell you what. Let me call so-and-so. And I said, yes, if he's available, good. If not, call me back. He wasn't available. He was out of town. She called me back. I said, okay, I'm on my way. So I went. And here's the interesting thing. As I'm driving, my mind is on, first, my mind is on fixing this trampoline, company about to come over, I'm hoping I get back in time for company, all that kind of stuff. And I'm driving into, and I shift, guys, you know how, what I mean by shift, we know how to do that. I shift, shifted, realizing we're about to deliver some life altering news to this lady. So we go into the situation. She's told the news. She collapses. She's undone. You know, comfort and all that kind of thing. And then, you know, we deal with that situation. And then a while later, I'm back home, and I was rethinking that whole situation. I was thinking, you know, at that point in my world, it was all about trampolines, fun, family, food, having a great time. And at one point, my biggest concern was getting back in time to enjoy that. And on the other side of that fence was a lady whose world has been totally devastated. Now, there's two different paradigms, two different perspectives in that, in that scenario. My perspective, everything's good, things cool. Her perspective, she's experiencing hell on earth. 
And the reason why I'm sharing all that, because it was such a major, dramatic, drastic difference. Sometimes that's the kind of situations we face. And we don't realize it. In other words, imagine if you were the clerk at Walmart. And this lady, a couple of days later, comes to Walmart to get some things she needed. And you're the clerk, and she's giving you all kinds of attitude. Like, lady, let me tell you a few things. But then you find out that her husband just died. Your attitude towards her is going to be a little bit different, isn't it? You're going to have more grace and compassion that you're willing to flow towards her than if you didn't have that information. And see, that's what empathy is. It's seeing things from another person's perspective. Thinking, you know what, there might be a reason behind that, that negative attitude. There might be a reason behind the way they're acting this way. Now, I'm not excusing their actions. If someone's rude, that's not right. If someone is mean and, and hurtful and hateful and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying that's right in any way, shape, or form. But I'm just saying, you know, people that you rub shoulders with at work or at school or wherever. See, we tend to see things from our perspective, our rights, and it's like, why in the world do they treat me this way? Maybe that's the only way. You know, a hurt person is going to hurt people. A broken person is going to react out of brokenness. Does that make sense? So armed with that information, maybe we can treat people with a little more compassion. Even if we, we don't know what their situation is, you know, if someone gives you attitude, don't say, hey, did your mom just die? Did you just lose a lot of money or something? Why are you treating me this way? I'm not, I'm not recommending that. That, wasn't, that wouldn't be the right way to deal with that situation. I'm just saying there could be more to the circumstances than, than you're aware of. Being willing to listen to another person who may not agree with you or who may even have a different experience than you. Try to see things from their perspective. Empathy. If we want to walk in, in love towards people, we have to be empathetic. We have to walk in empathy. Amen? And number five. Ephesians 4, 29. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Let me say it again. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, remember, I'm not talking to Christians. I'm talking to our followers of Jesus. Because, the reason why I say that is because do you realize that this is not a suggestion? It doesn't say, hey, guys, you might consider talking this way. 
Maybe, if you feel like it. But it says, don't use foul or abusive language. And I'm not talking, because some of us can assume that means cussing. And I'm sure it would include that, right? We shouldn't be doing that. But I think it's even deeper than that. Because you can say, in one translation it says, um, I think maybe the Greek word, uh, when it says let no unwholesome word, it means rotten word. Rotten. Imagine a piece of fruit or, or meat or whatever that's rotten. Don't let words that come out of your mouth that are rotten. And again, it's not a suggestion, but it says this is how we should not talk. It says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Imagine if from this point forward, all of us in here live by that one passage. To everyone you came in contact with, your spouse, your children, your teachers, your students, your coworkers, strangers or whatever, imagine that one phrase, that one passage being followed by us, do you think there might be some kind of an impact? I do too. And I think Jesus does too, and that's why he said it. He says, our speech must be seasoned with grace. And again, this is not a biblical suggestion. The things we say, we need to be careful how we say things. And, and that's why when someone's rude to you, at the very least, you can be kind in your words towards them. The very least. Be kind. You know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. They don't want to say this, you know, because social media, you know, a lot of times we like to make fun of social media. I feel like the Holy Spirit encouraged me with this. Because social media has become such a big deal. Now, those of us who are older, maybe my generation and up, you know, 20, late 20s and up. Um, <laughs> those of us who are older, we may not. Now, we use social media. Some of us use social media, but it's not. We don't, I don't think we really get how important it is. Because we had a large chunk of our life that it didn't exist. But this other generation, their whole life, it existed. They don't know life without it. And see, there again is that empathetic thing. Okay, this is why this is so important to this generation. This is their life, their whole life. But it has become a big deal. I mean, a very big deal. And because social media has become a big deal, it has become a tremendous opportunity to advance his kingdom. It has become a tremendous opportunity to advance God's kingdom. Especially if we apply Ephesians 4.29, where it says, do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say or type be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear or read them. Edifying speech on Facebook. Now I've been thinking a lot about this. And I used to be little in my thinking. I used to be little and put down or play down Facebook and social media. I feel like the Lord has checked me on that. He says, this is an opportunity. This is a tool that he can use to bless and minister and encourage many people. And so I want to encourage those of you who are, there are a number of you who not only use Facebook, but you are very skilled 
in your use of Facebook. Many of you are very articulate in expressing your views. Very articulate, very well put. But I think some of you are not aware of the hurt that your words are causing. And I'm bringing it to your attention because I don't think that's your intent. I don't believe, those of you who are in here, in this house, in this church, your intent is to hurt those who see your words. But I want to tell you, it is hurting some people. When we use Facebook to espouse our political beliefs or our social stands and things like that, now I'm not saying, I'm not talking about censorship and, oh, you shouldn't be saying any of that kind of thing. But what I am suggesting is that when you post something or say something on Facebook, I challenge and encourage you, follower of Jesus, to make sure that what you put out there is from him. In other words, you checked it with him before you pushed sin. And I really don't think Jesus is, is so much about the political stuff as much as he is his kingdom. See, we're promoting the wrong kingdom. And in the promotion of our kingdoms here on earth, our presidents, our kings, and that kind of thing, in the, in the, the passionate express of your beliefs and, and feelings and, ex, and encouraging and building that kingdom, you're hurting fellow brothers and sisters who have a different opinion or a different belief. And the reason why it's so hurtful is because it's such a big deal. Social media has become such a big deal that we view, it's like the things that we read on Facebook, it's the truth. This is exactly how you feel. And so it has an elevated place in our, in our souls, in our thinking or whatever. And so it has a greater impact. And so my appeal to my brothers and sisters, because again, I believe, one, I commend you on your ability to articulate and share your opinions and things. I mean, I'm serious when I say that. I'm not being sarcastic. Some of you are very well, very excellent communicators. My appeal to you is use those wonderful gifts to edify, to build up your brothers and sisters. Don't use it as a weapon. Use it as a tool, a gift to bless. Just like Ephesians 4.29 says, imagine if those in this house would begin to use Facebook and other social media in that way. Imagine the impact you could have. Imagine. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I believe that applies to social media as well. I believe he wants to so revolutionize our lives and the way we do things that it blows people away. Are you hearing me? Am I making any sense? Okay, in closing, action steps. So the five ways we can love people or love people well. Number one, our love has to look like the biblical example 
and definition. Number two, we have to live forgiveness. That has to be our lifestyle. Forgiveness. Number three, we must have the same attitude as Jesus. We must see ourselves as servants of the king here to serve mankind. Putting down those rights that we so we hold on to so oft, so um, strongly. Number four, letting our speech, excuse me, number four, walking in, in intentional empathy. And number five, having our speech seasoned with grace so that everything we say is good and helpful and encourages those who hear them. So those are the five things. Now, what are some action steps that I'm challenging to take? Number one, if you need to transition, if you need to, comma, transition from Christian to follower of Jesus. If you need to make that transition, I challenge you to make that transition. In other words, I'm no longer just a, a tag wearer, but I'm a Jesus follower. In other words, Jesus, is this okay with you? If it's not okay with you, then that's not what I'm going to be doing. Is it okay to say this? Is it okay to post this? Is this activity okay? Is this where you're going? Because if Jesus is going in that direction and you're going in this direction, then you're not following Jesus. So if you need to make that transition, I challenge and encourage you, May 2017, the best year of your relationship with him. Number two, commit to embrace the call to love well. Now, we can agree with these five things, but hopefully we'll say, okay, Lord, I see you, I hear you, and I thank you for the grace that you're making available to me to walk in this. Number three, renew your commitment to hanging out with Jesus on a daily basis. Number four, renew your commitment to engage in his word regularly. Because of all the stuff that's being said and everything that's going on in the world, our truth is being altered. It's been affected. We're not sure what truth is. And we're becoming too subject to, to worldly opinion. And whoever can articulate the things the most is like, ooh, that sounds right. That's got to be right. And if I'm not judging that and, and checking that by the word, then we're going to get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. So we have to be reading his word. It has to be our life source, daily bread. Amen? And then number, whatever number I'm on, I challenge and encourage you to unplug from social media for a while, two weeks, 30 days, however long, and reboot. Unplug, hang out with Jesus, and then when you plug back in, let it be in a different, different way. And decide that you're going to use social media not as a weapon against people, but as a powerful tool to edify, encourage, and inspire those who will view your post. Let's stand together. You know, it's interesting. Those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember that there was prophetic declaration and it came... Sometime in worship, I believe, 
that 2017 was going to be a year of joy. Anybody remember that? I find it interesting because I was talking to Todd. We had a conversation the other day, and because I feel like the Lord has said the theme for this year, loving well. And then when Todd, we were talking, and we're talking about that joy, and it, and it was so powerful how that, that came through joy, and it was coming through again today. And remember, joy is your joy, the joy of the Lord in you is not based on your circumstances. It is based on your mindset and how you posture yourself. Because you can be going through some horrible circumstances and still be full of joy. But we can have an incredible year of joy. But I was thinking, I wonder if this is true. And then I saw in Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, do you realize that love and joy are right next to each other? They're right next to each other. I thought, dude, God, you set us up. So I believe what he's saying, if we will walk in his love, we will experience great joy. Out of love comes joy. So it's like twofold, love and joy. That's what we are going to be. That's who we are. And that's what we're going to walk in in 2017. And watch out for what's going to happen. The miracles, the changed lives, the breakthrough, all that cool stuff that we've been praying for and declaring and believing God for. I believe we're going to see a greater manifestation of that in 2017. Amen? Let's pray. And as you close your eyes, whatever action step or steps that you feel like the Lord is challenging you to make, I just encourage you right now just to make those. You just have a conversation with him right now. And you talk to him. And you tell him. Because it's not about you and me. It's about you and him. What he wants you to do. And you realigning yourself with him and saying, Jesus, I am your follower. I'm going to follow you into heaven. Follow you for the rest of my days. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that not only are you just putting this word in our heart, but you're giving us grace to implement it. And we just thank you for the joy that is just growing and growing and increasing in our hearts. And the love, the agape love that we're going to be walking in. And I thank you, Father, that this church family, we are positioning and aligning ourselves to follow you and to walk in incredible love and impact lives for your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.